Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. This is Shannon, and yes, I am back to talk with you about new books, and there are a bunch that we as a Book Bistro crew are very excited about. However, before we get to new books, I am so thrilled for you to listen in to an interview that I did with author Stephanie Dre a couple of weeks ago, and this is about her latest novel, The Women of Chateau Lafayette, and this is told in three different timelines. It is just a remarkable book. I highly recommend that people run out and read it, even if you're not sure that historical fiction is your thing. There are just so many great historical novels out there, and I do recommend picking this one up. So I'm going to get into the housekeeping information, and then we will move straight into the interview, and then I'll be back to talk about this week's new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and I am really excited to be talking with author Stephanie Dre, whose latest novel, The Women at Chateau Lafayette, is released in the U.S. on March 30th, which is the day of recording. Stephanie, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. You are very, very welcome. Historical fiction is a podcast favorite among my team, so I'm always really excited when we get to talk to historical authors. So can we start out by you giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to the women of Chateau Lafayette? Yes, I'd be happy to. I have written America's First Daughter and My Dear Hamilton, so you know that I'm fascinated by founding mothers of the United States. What I really wanted to do was introduce readers to our French founding mother, Adrienne Lafayette, the wife of the Marquis de Lafayette, who at the age of 19 sailed to America against the wishes of his king to fight in the American Revolution. The story, though, started to expand on me once I started when I found out that Lafayette's birthplace, his castle in Chavignac, was a refuge for Jewish children hiding from the Nazis during the Holocaust. And I had to know how that came about. And so this story explains how that came about. And it is ultimately a story of three wars, three women, one world-changing legacy and the castle at the heart of it all. 
So this is your first kind of multiple timeline novel then, because the other two, um, like your America's First Daughter and My Dear Hamilton kind of stayed in one period of history where here we move back and forth between three different timelines. Yes, that's right. So this was a new challenge for me. And ultimately what I did to make sure that I preserved an authentic voice for each of the heroines in their own time period was I wrote each of their stories separately and then I wove them together. I was actually going to ask you about that, like what your process was for writing a book like this. Um, Cause you know, we see a lot of dual timeline. Yes. But very few that explore more than that. Um, I think most notably, at least for me, would be the team of um, Karen White, Lauren Willig, and Beatrice Williams, who write like the three timeline stories, but it's sort of one author per timeline. Yes. So I'm curious to know kind of how how that was for you. Like once you decided that you were going to write each woman's story individually and then weave them together, did you find that to be as smooth a process as you'd hoped or did you still struggle to move between all of the timelines in a way that feels organic? I struggled a little bit in part because I wasn't sure whose story should go first. I felt at first as if Adrian was the natural opening because it is really about the Lafayette legacy and her beautiful story of courage and love with the Marquis de Lafayette. But I also knew that Marta's story, Marta Simone is my character in World War II. She's the French school teacher at the Chateau who helps save Jewish children. I knew that her story was inspired by the other two women. Everything she decides to do is because she knows the story of the women who came before her. And so ultimately I had her start the story, even though she's younger and less mature and has a bigger arc to go before she becomes a heroine. So what was the research like for this book in, you know, not just exploring one or two periods of history, but three? The research for this book was epic. (laughs) I bet it was. Uh, this was a book seven years in the making. Now, wow. yes. Now I was writing other things um, at the same time. I'm often researching one story and writing another story and promoting a third story. But um, this one had a, was very involved. Um, the 18th century story wasn't as hard to tell because there are lots of biographies on Lafayette, and there are even a few on his very courageous wife, Adrian. So that was turned out to actually be the simpler story of the three. Um, World War I was the most complicated for me because it tells the story of Beatrice Chandler, who was a real historic woman who was a starlet in her day and turned to philanthropy. And she is the American woman who purchased Lafayette's birthplace during World War I, renovated and repurposed it as a refuge for... Um, orphan children of World War One, And I thought I understood her story when I started. I thought, oh, well, this is a woman who, she's married to a millionaire, she's very wealthy, uh, she 
goes through this very difficult war with her husband who she was having a troubled marriage with and ultimately they stay married. So I wrote that story and then I discovered in her papers at the New York Historical Society a stash of letters that turned out to be love letters written in code. And once I decoded them, I realized that I had uncovered a century old secret love affair. Ooh. With a French officer. So, <laughs> so the research kept changing under my feet for the World War I story. So I kept rewriting it every time I discovered something new. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then how was it for the World War II? bit did that kind of surprise you as well or did that feel more straightforward it honestly did surprise me because you would think that it being the most modern period of history at the chateau that we would know the most about it but in fact we know the least about it the castle records for that period are missing and it might be because this is a complicated time in french history where um, alliances were really strained um There's a lot of discomfort in France even now about what role they played in the Holocaust. And so it was hard to even get people to talk to me about this period of the castle's history. I remember that at first, and it it could have been a language barrier, but I was asking about the Baron de Lagrange, who was the president of the uh, Lafayette Preventorium at the castle during World War II. And I was getting a lot of blank faces Um, and told that they didn't know who I was talking about. And then I found a plaque with his name on it right outside the church. Now, this is a very small town, so (laughs) there's zero chance that they did not know his name. Um, So I did have to do a little detective work. And ultimately, that's one of the reasons I decided to fictionalize the third heroine, who is a composite character of real women who did real heroic things at the Chateau, but whose names we don't know for sure. Ah, okay. So as you kind of took all of your research and created characters, like, you know, the two who actually existed and Mm -hmm. then the third Mm -hmm. who was a composite, did you have any trouble kind of finding each character's voice and making her distinct from the others? Well, Adrian's voice uh, was very distinct because we have her letters. And Beatrice Chandler's voice was extremely distinct because I had her letters and she is wonderfully funny. She Ah. also was an author, so I was able to read her books. So I did not have any trouble capturing Beatrice Chandler's a uh, larger than life comedic voice. She was a, a famous comedic actress in her day. So we shouldn't be too surprised about that. But the fictional heroine was a little more difficult and I wanted to make sure that she was distinct. I knew that both Adrian and Beatrice were just overawed by Lafayette. They thought he was a wonderful hero. So I wanted a heroine who was a little skeptical of all this uh, patriotism and and skeptical about the Lafayette legacy, but ultimately won over by it. And that's why Marta starts out um, a little cynical and she finds her own heroism over time. That's amazing. This is a huge, huge book. It's like 24 hours almost in audio. 
and we are big audio fans here on the podcast. So my um, immersion in this book was done through through audio, and it is it is spectacular. It's huge and sweeping, and you have some of the best audio narrators working on this. So can I tell you a secret? Yes. You have heard this audiobook and I have not. And I'm dying to hear it because I know these readers are fantastic. Oh, so, you you didn't get like a no. oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's wonderful. Yay. Um I'm a big you, fan of audio myself. You have had really good narrators like for your other um books as well. Like I think mm-hmm. it was Cassandra Campbell. Yes. who did um, My Dear Hamilton. Yes. And she is like one of my very favorites. Um, so yes, this is just an amazing audiobook. I highly recommend it to listeners. I mean, I recommend it anyway, but if you are an audiobook fan, um, this is definitely a great book to check out in audio. It's just so, so immersive. I love it. I can't wait. <laughs> Yes, I hope you get to hear it soon. Well, it's out, so I suppose you <laughs> you could like zoom over to uh, like Audible That's or right. That's something, my next and, <laughs> and uh, you know at least like hear a sample. But it's it's very very good. So, what kind of started you on this path of examining the lives of historic women? Well, I really. I've always been interested in the rise and fall of republics. And once I started studying them, I noticed that women's contributions were typically uh, underappreciated. Uh-huh. So it's become a bit of a mission for me to illuminate their role in history. They've always taken part. Um, and along the way, I've discovered just some amazing heroic examples to aspire to. So when you decided to write the book about Eliza Hamilton, was that before, after, or kind of alongside the whole like Hamilton craze? So we, uh, Laura Kamoy, my co-author for those books. Yes. My, um, America's First Daughter and My Dear Hamilton. We had been, we'd, we'd already published America's First Daughter and we had been looking for other founding mothers that, Uh, we thought would be great to write about. And Eliza Hamilton was on the list. But then Laura went to see Hamilton, an American musical, before it was even a big thing. It was, I think it's opening day on Broadway. Um, And she started blowing up my phone with texts about how amazing it was and that she had uh, discovered who she thought we should write next. And the next morning in a cab on our way to the publisher, she started telling me about it. And by the time we got out of the cab, we had agreed that this was our next heroine. We pitched it to our editor that day and um, planned the book over lunch and it sold shortly thereafter. So were you kind of helped along by the like fervor that took over the world when Hamilton kind of made it big like did that help you or did that sort of intimidate you as you were trying to create something that was you know your own work but still based on this historic figure a little of both to be frank um you know there's 
uh, it's it's a masterful work. We're we're huge fans, and we think that Lin Manuel Miranda and the cast just did an amazing civic service for the country, helping another generation to see themselves in the founding story and in the future of the country. And when you see someone do something that incredible, uh, it's very intimidating to think, well, what could I possibly add to this? But you know, at the end of the musical, we hear about Eliza's accomplishments uh, and how amazing Eliza Hamilton was, but we don't get to see her story. So when, when they sing, Who Tells Your Story, Laura and I thought, well, that's gonna be us. We're gonna tell that story. And I think that certainly the musical spurred interest in um, Eliza Hamilton and founding mothers in general. And so I hope they will embrace Adrian Lafayette as well. It was really interesting about Eliza Hamilton, I felt, because a lot of people did tell her story, but some people chose to only tell it as it related to Hamilton. Like, you know, she was very much his wife as opposed to her own person. And so I really liked that you chose to make her a person like in and of herself that yes, she was married to him. And a lot of what she accomplished was sort of inspired by that, but still, you know, she, she was a person in her own right. Well, the first line of my dear Hamilton's first chapter is I was someone before I met Alexander Hamilton. And we thought that was really important to show. Yes. I would agree with that. I think so often women are sort of seen as extensions of their husbands, fathers, brothers, sons. Yeah. Um, and I love allowing them to step out into kind of the, the forefront and be in some ways like in charge of their own stories and what people know about them. Yes. So now that this book is out in the world, what is next for you? My next project is going to be about America's very first female cabinet secretary, Secretary of Labor, Frances Perkins. So we're going to the depression era for a little bit. <laughs> for a founding mother of another kind. And yes. then I think Laura Kamoy and I will probably team up again for another 18th century tale. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I will definitely have to keep my eye on NetGalley for some of these things. I'm <laughs> guessing that, you know, your books are so, so long. And that's wonderful. I love just like <laughs> sinking into something lush and long. Um, do you, like, are your books even longer kind of before the editing process or are you able to keep in most of what you originally come up with? Oh, no, they are much longer <laughs> than they end up being after the editing process. Uh, I think out of Minder Hamilton, we cut something like 60,000 words. So that's its own, its own book. Um, and I definitely cut a lot of of scenes out of um, the women of Chateau Lafayette. But the advantage of this is that it means that I have deleted scenes that I can share with readers on social media and especially in my monthly newsletter, which readers can subscribe to at stephaniedre.com. 
Ooh, okay. I love to do that because <laughs> I often think, you know, we, we see the, the finished product and obviously it's the finished product for a reason, but I really wonder sometimes like what, you know, what are the things that people wrote that we didn't get to see? Yeah. Um, and so I think that whole idea of sharing deleted scenes or, you know, sometimes people will um, have on their website just kind of little summaries of like things that were taken out. And I'm always really interested in the things that don't actually make it into the finished book. So I think sharing that is just a really, really cool idea, especially after people have read the book and you're like, oh, you know, I wonder. <laughs> I love to share it in part because with historical fiction, it always seems like my first draft is, well, let's tell what happened. And then my second draft is, okay, let's shape this into a narrative structure because people's real lives do not fit very neatly in narrative structure. Sometimes no. there are coincidences that don't matter. Sometimes there are things that uh, a character went through that was boring for them and therefore would be boring for the reader. So you start to pick and choose how to sculpt your story. So when you sit down to write a novel, aside from, of course, this one where you, you know, wrote each story separately, do you tend to write it like in the order that we read it? Or do you kind of skip around from scene to scene and then shape it later into an order that works best for the story you're telling? I used to write very linearly. Nowadays, I tend to write the scenes that I know have to be in the book, and then I have a better understanding of which scenes uh, still need to be dramatized and which scenes don't. But every time I write a new book, it's like reinventing the wheel. So I really couldn't say that any one process is best, uh, whatever works for a writer at the time. Are there things that you've learned kind of along the way that have honed your craft and make some of the process at least feel easier or more manageable? I think that I have discovered some tools that are very helpful. I use Scrivener to write and that helps me keep track of all my research. I also use a tool called Aeon Timeline, which helps me map out people's lives and that has actually been really useful in making historical discoveries. For example, in America's First Daughter, the character of William Short is very significant in Patsy Jefferson's life. And I don't think we would have known that if we didn't lay their lives, uh, the events of their lives over top one another in a timeline program and see how often they actually were together at crucial moments. Um, so those sorts of tools have been helpful. And also having great critique partners is absolutely crucial. I like that I, I feel extremely blessed that I have Laura Kamoy and Kate Quinn to help read my <gasps> manuscript. Yeah, she's one of my dearest friends and she's, uh, she's an absolute prodigy. She's an amazing writer. So I feel very fortunate that her fingerprints are also on this manuscript and all of my manuscripts. I love her series like set in Rome. Oh yes. Um, I, I think they're, they're just stunning. And I have the Rose code actually sitting on my iPad. 
Oh, um, you're going to love it. It's it so looks good. so, so good. I'm really excited for it. Speaking of things that look good, what have you read recently that you want the world to know about? Well, other than The Rose Code, which is amazing and her best book yet, Ooh. I've also read um, Susan, Sue Meissner's The Nature yes. of Fragile Things. Yes, that yes. one was a surprise. I didn't even read the back, so I had no idea what the story was about. I just trusted oh. it would be good. And I fell into this mystery and I was, I was kept up late at night as it was unraveling. Um, and I also got a sneak preview of Renee Rosen's The Social Graces, uh, which is so dishy and delicious. Renee Rosen is amazing. She was one of the early interviews on this podcast. And I just, I, I find her just so warm and delightful, both in her writing, but also just as a person. She really is. She's just such an authentic person and I just love her. And it was, you know, so early in my doing this, like in, in 2019, and she was just like one of those people that you talk to and you just feel like instantly, like, you know, you're, you're doing something that's, that's important and, you know, that you're, you're good at. And she just has this, this presence that I really appreciated, especially early on when I hadn't been talking to authors, mm -hmm. um, you know, for as long as I have now. She's very encouraging and she has talked me down off many ledges. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much about the book community and the way in which people can come together, kind of drawn by their love of fiction. And it's just, I find so much true, genuine warmth and support among authors and readers. Now, granted, you know, there are some times when things are, are kind of edgy and, and tense, but I think it's in a lot of, in a lot of ways, you know, for, for good reasons, but I just, I think the book community is, is so incredible. I agree. And I think also historical fiction writers in particular are special animals. We all get very obsessed with some historical facet of something. And I think other writers probably look at us like we're a little bit weird. So we tend to stick together. I see absolutely nothing wrong with that. I love <laughs> historical fiction. Um, it is, you know, I have to kind of tell myself, okay, like you've read three or four historicals in a row, you know, let's, let's move away. Let's <laughs> pick up something else. Otherwise this would be like a historical fiction podcast. Um, and, and that's about it. And I, I do enjoy, you know, once I convince myself to like <laughs> pick up something else, I generally fall into some pretty great stuff. So, but it, it's hard to look away from kind of the, the fascinating stories that people tell about history. And it's hard for us to stop. We fall down rabbit holes and we, we can't come out. We have to sometimes talk each other out of, out of doing some sort of crazy research or hold interventions. I'll see that's very good because the more crazy research people do, the more fantastic books will come out of it. <laughs> and I am always a fan of anything that means more books are coming. So I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your 
busy release day to chat with me about this book. And I also wonder if you can let listeners know the best places to find you online. Absolutely. Please come to stephaniedray.com. There's all my social media links there. There's a link to my historical book of the month club, my newsletter, all sorts of goodies there and extra features that will tell you more about the research in the book. And finally, I want to thank you for having me. This was such a warm, wonderful conversation, especially on release day when nerves can start to get you. Thank you so much for putting me at ease. I enjoyed it so much and I hope to have you back for future books I would love that okay so as I said it's time for new books so as always I'm going to start out with some books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated books of April episode. So if you want to hear more about these, you can definitely refer back to that episode. I'm starting out with The Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her. This is a young adult thriller set in Korea. And it's one that I mentioned back on that previous episode. And I am very excited about it. I know that Brooke really enjoyed Her's first novel. So I'm hoping that she will also pick this one up. Um, Mika talked about Witches Steeped in Gold by Shannon Smart, and I'm so, so excited that this is out finally. I've heard such good things about it. The synopsis looks amazing. It's one of those books that as soon as I heard about it, I knew I needed to have it, and I can finally have it now. So this is young adult fantasy about witches, but not sort of your typical like European witches. Instead, we are pulling from, I believe, um, Jamaican and Western Caribbean influences for the magic here. And so many of my crew would be very upset with me if I did not mention this next book. Today is a momentous day for the women of Book Bistro because the new J.R. Ward book is out. This is Lover Unveiled. It is Black Dagger Brotherhood, book 19. And it introduces us to a new hero and heroine, um, Stacy, of course, mentioned this on our most anticipated books of April episode, but Sarah, Kristen, Christine, our fabulous podcast editor, and me, we're just so, so excited about this. Um, there's just something really special about Ward's writing, and she just kind of manages to suck you in. All right, so... Let's talk about books that you haven't heard us mention before. And first up in that list is actually my current read. So Yasmin Gallinorn has released the third book in her Moonshadow Bay series. This is Conjure Web, and I am reading it now. It came out on the 19th, so at the time of recording, it's been out um, for about 24 hours. And I am loving it as always. Paranormal women's fiction. It's just so fantastic. So this is Conjure Web, Moonshadow Bay, book three by Yasmin Gallinorn. And sticking with the fantasy here for a moment, I want to talk about The Crown of Gilded Bones. This is book three in the Blood and Ash series by Jennifer L. Armentrout. And this is a series that I have been meaning to read. Now that it's finally out, like complete, I will probably start it. Um, I have bought both the first two books when they were released. 
And so now third one will be here. I can scoop it up and it will be amazing. I love the other Jennifer L. Armantrout books that I've read. So I'm pretty sure that this one will not be disappointing. So this is The Crown of Gild Gilded Bones and it's Blood and Ash, book three by Jennifer L. Armantrout. So I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that there were a lot of great historical novels. And so I'm going to highlight a few that came out this week. And Beyond the, This Broken Sky is out this week. It's by Siobhan Curram, who is an author that I have never heard of. This is a World War II story set in London in 1940. It is about the women who were on the front lines in the Battle of Britain, women that a lot of us know very little about. So again, this is Beyond This Broken Sky, and it's by Siobhan Curram. Sticking with the World War II setting for a moment, I want to talk about the new Karen White novel. This is The Last Night in London. It is a dual timeline novel set in London during 1939, 1940, and through um, a series of events, we then move back and forth between the World War II era and 2019. And it takes place in London. It is an utterly spellbinding book. I so highly recommend it. The audiobook narrators are phenomenal. It's um, Barry Krynick and Saskia Marleveld, and they just bring this novel to life so beautifully. This is The Last Night in London, and it's by Karen White. We also have the new Renee Rosen book out this week. This is The Social Graces, set in Gilded Age, New York, and... Um, Newport, Rhode Island, and it is the story of Alva Vanderbilt and kind of her long feud with Caroline Astor. I have heard so many positive things about this book just in the months leading up to its release, and I'm so glad it's finally here. I've read almost all of Rosen's previous books and really love them, so this one is definitely on the short list I have of things to read. It is The Social Graces, and it is by Renee Rosen. Okay, so I'm going to do a bit of a bridge here to talk about a couple of romance titles. I have a historical romance just to kind of carry us over from the historical fiction. Courtney Milan has released the third book in her Worth Saga series. This is The Devil Comes Courting. I am not as familiar with this series as I am with some of Milan's other books, her Brother's Sinister series, which consists of four full-length novels and two, two, two or three novellas. I think that is one of the very best historical romance series that has been written in recent years. Um, I do plan to read her Worth books, but I just have not yet. Um, but I love her wit. I think her characters are so smart and aware, and she just has a definite way of moving you back in time to a place that you have never experienced, and yet she makes it all feel so authentic. So this is The Devil Comes Courting, and it's Worth Saga number three by Courtney Milan. And let's talk about a contemporary novel. This is The Kindred Spirit Supper Club by Amy E. Reichert. It is set in the Wisconsin Dells. And for those of you who aren't familiar, it is kind of a resort area here in the Midwest, um, up in northern Wisconsin. And it 
has all these like water parks and kind of like fancy resorts. Um, and so this is a novel set here about a woman who is kind of trying to figure out her place in the world, finding love, enjoying good food. I'm really excited for this one. It is The Kindred Spirit Supper Club by Amy E. Reichert. And I have three books here that are just kind of, I don't know, like general fiction, maybe women's fiction. I'm not really sure how we would classify these, but all of them look super interesting to me. So I want to talk about My Ride or Die by Leslie Cohen. And this is the story of best friends who make a pact that they're done like devoting their lives to men. They're no longer looking for love. Instead, they're going to devote their lives to one another. And so we kind of see how this works, but also how it goes really wrong. This is My Ride or Die, and it's by Leslie Cohen. We also have a new novel from author Christy Woodson Harvey. This is Under a Southern Sky, and Harvey is an, an author that I have never read, although I've seen her compared to authors like Karen White, um, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe. And in the case of Karen White, with the exception of the book that she wrote just now, um, most of her books are set in the American South. And this is something that Christy Woodson Harvey also does. So this is a book about motherhood, um, about really knowing yourself, knowing your limitations. It looks really great. I'm definitely planning to add it to my huge TBR pile, but this is Under a Southern Sky, and it's by Christy Woodson Harvey. We then have The Happiest Girl in the World. This is the second novel, I believe, from author Alina Dillon. She wrote Mercy House. Um, I can't remember if it was in 2019 or 2020. Things kind of run together for me these days. But um, that was her first kind of standalone novel. This is also a standalone and it's set in the cutthroat world of Olympic hopeful gymnastics. And so our heroine is a teenage girl who has always dreamed of being on the Olympic gymnastics team. And so we follow her, we get to see exactly what it takes to get to the top and stay there. This is The Happiest Girl in the World, and it's by Elena Dillon. And now we have some mysteries, because this would not be a book bistro new books episode without some mysteries and psychological thrillers. So I want to talk about Girl 11 by Amy Suter Clark. And this is about a true crime podcaster. She's had four really successful seasons of her podcast where she's managed to kind of uncover the truth about some pretty big cases. And so now she's turning to the case that has always haunted her. So this is Girl 11, and it is by Amy Suter Clark. We also have Mirrorland by Carol Johnstone. This is a book that is compared to Stephen King, to Gillian Flynn. It is a very twisty story from what I've been told. It's about sisters, but even more than that, it's about the stories we are all guilty of telling ourselves and sort of what parts of those stories we believe and what parts of those stories we sort of convince other people to believe. So this is Mirrorland and it's by Carol Johnstone. 
Next up is Her Three Lives. This is by Kate Hollihan, who is an author that I've been aware of now for several years. I actually own, I don't know, three or four of her novels, and I just have not read them. Um, this one is kind of like home invasion goes high tech. Um, so this family is the victim of a home invasion. They feel really violated, obviously, and are trying to figure out who who the villain is. However, this has sort of caused them to lose trust in one another. And so this is a novel of them, you know, trying to solve the mystery, but also trying to regain the love and the trust that they felt for one another. And this is Her Three Lives by Kate Hollihan. And last up for me today is a book, the latest novel by DJ Palmer. You may remember a couple of weeks ago when we did our Mysteries and Thrillers episode, Natalia talked about The New Husband by Palmer. And now his latest novel, The Perfect Daughter, is out. And this is, it might be a bit of a controversial book. It deals with dissociative identity disorder and kind of the, the myths versus the truths of that disorder and how it can affect people's lives and sort of their ability to always have a firm grasp on their own reality. Um, I have really liked Palmer's look at some other kind of hot button issues. So I'm eager to see kind of how he does with something like mental illness um, along the lines of dissociative identity disorder. So this is The Perfect Daughter and it's by DJ Palmer. And that my friends is all I have for you today. I hope that you were able to find a thing or two to add to your TBR pile. Um, mine grows pretty much every day. So hopefully I can help you uh, keep yours nice and giant as well. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.